Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa. Khususan ala Sayyidi Rusuli wa Khatim al Anbiya wa ala alihi al Azkiya wa ashabihi al Atqiya amma ba'd. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam abducted multiple approaches to teaching the message that he was conveying in that moment to the companions. Depending on the person, the message, what was happening at that time, the Prophet ﷺ adopted techniques that were most effective in that person internalizing what revelation was saying to that person, what was being said, what was being taught. What is the murad of the ayah of the Qur'an? What's the murad of the hadith of Rasulullah What's the intended goal behind it? So today the author, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudar rahimahullah ta'ala, takes us to a chapter of Rasulullah using imagery as a tool for education. Some people are great at learning just through hearing. That's what they're good at. They listen to something, they internalize it, it's good for them. For others, it's a matter of reading, that when they see something, when they read it, they understand it. Some people, they learn through engagement and interaction, through props. Inshallah, we'll read some narrations regarding that, how Rasulullah would also use phys- physical objects present in front of him, holding them up high and saying, like this, you know, this is haram, or this is permissible. Similarly, Rasulullah would make physical gestures, فَشَبَّكَ بَيْنَ أَصَابِعِهِ Nabi Wasallam at times would cross his fingers like this. For example, when it came to the issue of Hajj and Umrah, in Jahili days, prior to Islam, the Arabs viewed it to be impermissible to perform Umrah during the season of Hajj. However, when Rasulullah Wasallam performed his farewell Hajj, he made niyyah of Umrah and Hajj together in one trip. The Prophet ﷺ saw that everyone did what he did, and this, this form of Hajj was a little bit more difficult, more actions are involved, a sacrifice must be taken with you. So Nabi ﷺ then said to the companions, that whoever did not bring an animal with them, should exit Qiran and just do Hajj. And then Rasulullah ﷺ said, that Hajj and Umrah have been combined until the end of times, and he crossed his fingers like this. That this 
ruling that Hajj and Umrah can be performed in the same season, that a person can go for Hajj and perform Umrah before it, perform Umrah after it, this will remain till the end of times, and he crossed his fingers like this, so we have that as well. Today, the author starts with the riwayat of how Rasulullah taught certain lessons through drawing. Nabi um wasn't one to draw with a pen on paper. So we're not talking about that type of drawing. Rather, the Prophet ﷺ at times drew certain temporary images in the sand, in the ground, to explain a particular point. The meaning of an ayah of the Qur'an, or trying to convey a great lesson of life. These lessons are very basic and simple. Rasulullah ﷺ gave an image. And this is important, uh, specifically when we talk about educating our younger folks, when we're teaching children, when we're educating our kids at home. Lectures usually aren't as effective. Reading books isn't everyone's cup of tea. A lot of it happens through visuals or a combination of the senses being engaged for one message to reach them. So here we'll read the riwayat. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Bismillah alhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in. Qal al-Muhallif rahimahullah. At times Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to explain the concept by drawing, drawing on the ground or the sand. Imam Ahmad rahimahullah narrates in his musnad on the authority of Jabir radiallahu anhum and Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhum and Abu Abdullah al-Marwazi narrates in his book al-Sunnah on the authority of Jabir anhu and Ibn Abbas anhu. Jabir anhu said, we were sitting with Rasulullah when he drew a line on the ground in front of him with his hand like this and said, this is the path of Allah. He then drew two lines to the right and two lines to the left and said, these are the paths of, of, of Satan. Nabi drew one straight line in the ground. And then he said, This is the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That path that we're asking Allah for every day. This is that path. Then on each side of that line in the middle, Nabi ﷺ drew two lines on the right and then drew two lines on the left. These are the paths of shaitan. Nabi ﷺ then placed his hand on that middle line that he had drawn. And then the Prophet ﷺ recited the verse of Surah Al-An'am. وَأَنَّ هَذَا صِرَاطِي مُسْتَقِيمًا فَاتَّبِعُوهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا السُّبُلُ وَأَنَّ هَذَا صِرَاطِي مُسْتَقِيمًا This is my straight path. فَاتَّبِعُوهُ So adopt this path, take this path. وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا السُّبُلُ And do not take the other paths. فَتَفَرَّقَ بِكُمْ عَنْ سَبِيلِ They will cause you to be dispersed from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. خَطَّ النَّبِيُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ خَطَّ Khattan murabban, a square, very good. Wa khatta khattan fil wasati kharijan minha. 
And then in the middle of the square, the Prophet ﷺ, so you have the square here, he drew a line in the middle that kept going, and when it reached the top of the square, it didn't stop there, it kept going out of the square. The second line that was in the middle, it went right through the middle of the square and then crossed the top of the square outside of it. So then Nabi drew these smaller lines coming in from the side, all within this box, they were coming uh, horizontally towards the line that was in the middle. So you have the square, one line going vertically up, crosses the box, and then small little horizontal lines inside the box coming towards this middle line. Now, the, now Nabi Wasallam gives us the key to this image. هذا الإنسان وهذا أجله محيط من That this square is the life of the human being. Every human being's life is limited. There's a beginning point, there's an end point. That's the dimension that the human being is in. وَهَذَا الَّذِي هُوَ خَارِجٌ أَمَلُهُ As for the line that exceeds the, the, this, this box, this container, the square, are the desires of the human being. The human being has so many desires and dreams that the truth is that they exceed even your life. That after I die, I want to be known like this and I want people to march around me like this and I want my grave to be like this. Or the things they're trying to accomplish in this world cannot be accomplished in a single lifetime. I want to be a multi-trillionaire, multi-billionaire. This isn't what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us for. Then, وَهَذِهِ الْخُطَّةُ الصِّغَارِ As for the small lines, الْأَعْرَاضِ That were coming in horizontally. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, الْأَعْرَاضِ These are sort of calamities and difficulties that happen in life. These are challenges and it's this life happening. You break your leg, la subhanallah, you lose your money, you get a little sick, someone dies, you know, you have a little bit of a health issue, go through some depression, mental breakdown, someone goes through a divorce, someone buries their child. So these are these lines that are coming in from the side towards the middle. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then said, فَإِنْ أَخْطَأَهُ هَذَا نَهَشَهُ هَذَا That if one misses him, the other will afflict him or strike him. Nahasha is interesting. Nahashahu hada. Nahasha means um, to when a serpent bites an individual with poison. Nahasha a ladda. Right? It's when a ladru, sorry. Ladru. It's when a uh, it's when a, a snake takes its venom and plunges it into the individual. It bites right into them. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam refers to the pain that a person feels when they face calamity similar to that of being bitten by a, a poisonous snake. مُبَالَغَةً فِي الْإِصَابَةِ وَالْإِحْلَاكِ السَّرِيعِ Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi here is emphasizing for us uh, with some hyperbole the, the pain that comes through the difficulty and how it destroys a person very quickly. وَإِنْ أَخْطَأَهُ هَذَا نَهْشَهُ هَذَا and if that line misses him, this one will catch him. If this one misses him, that one will catch him. But there are difficulties throughout life. And if all the lines end up missing this person, we all have to go through old age. And old age is also difficult. One of the du'as that we heard our elders making, Oh Allah, never make us dependent of another person. Let me live a life a respectable, honorable, dignified life. 
But what's the point of dragging your feet in the dunya to the point where you are fully dependent on other human beings? We heard our elders making this dua. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also never make us depend on another person. Yes. Rasulullah thus explained to them by means of an illustration which he drew on the ground how man and all his high hopes are encompassed by sudden death, debilitating illnesses and sicknesses or destructive old age. He thus urged them to curtail their hopes and to hope for sudden death. Here the ground and sand... حَظَّهُمْ عَلَىٰ قِصَرِ الْأَمَلِ وَالْإِسْتِعْدَادِ لِبَغْتَةِ الْأَجَلِ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, through this example, He's telling the companions, control your dreams in the world. Control your desires in the world. Don't set crazy expectations for yourself. That I have to have five cars and a vacation every year, and I need to buy this, and I need to dress like this, and I need to have this product in my house. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Minimize your dreams in the world. Don't have too much on your to-do list. And be ready for sudden death. At any point, we can pass away. Tomorrow the announcement can be made that you or I or both of us left this dunya. So we leave every day, we end the day with istighfar and tawbah. Turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That the last thing we utter before we sleep every night is the name of Allah. And the first thing when we wake up in the morning, no matter how much we have this urge to grab our phone or to, you know, Say something to to Alexa or Google. Hold off, and as you wake up before you move, take a few seconds and do dhikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Alhamdulillah, aladhi ahyana baadama amatana wa ilayn shur. Asbahna wa asbah almulku. Lillah walhamdulillah. Start your morning and end your day with the remembrance of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Yes. Here the ground and sand was used as a means of explaining the concept of... And it's quite a beautiful uh, 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 canvas that Rasulullah used while talking about the life of the human being and all the hopes that we have. The truth is that we are created from this sand and all the things that we look at in this world were also created from this very same soil. So Nabi very eloquently draws out the whole example in that soil telling us that this is what it all is. This is where you've come from, and everything that you desire in the world is ultimately from here. The true pleasure of a believer, the true dream of a believer is in Jannah. Yes. Imam Ahmad narrates in his Musnad on the authority of Abdullah ibn Abbas who said, Rasulullah drew four lines on the ground and then asked, do you know why I drew these lines? The Sahaba said, Allah and His Messenger know best. Rasulullah replied, The most superior of the women of paradise are Khadija bint Qawwilid, Fatima bint Muhammad, Maryam bint Imran, and Asya bint Muzahim, the wife of Pharaoh. The, yeah. most, the most probable reason for drawing these four lines was to emphasize the merit of these four women over all the other women of paradise. Their superiority was emphasized because the Sahaba heard it from the mouth of Rasulullah and also saw him drawing the lines on the ground. Continue. Combining speech and gestures. So this is the next chapter. Jama'uhu bayn al-qawli wal-isharati fi ta'aleem. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at times used multiple approaches at once. 
the Prophet ﷺ used his words and also incorporated gestures while teaching a lesson. Rasulullah is to combine speech with gestures when teaching in order to clarify and bring the, to the attention of his audience the importance of his message and teachings. Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari who said Rasulullah said, a believer to another believer is like a building. Each portion of it strengthens the other. Rasulullah then interlocked his fingers. Shabbaka bina He then interlocked his fingers that this is how we are supposed to be as an ummah. Supporting one another, standing by each other's side, looking after one another, being there together. Yes. Muslim narrates a lengthy hadith of Jarir ibn Abdullah uh, with uh, regards to the hajj of Rasulullah A portion of the hadith is as follows. Were I to do in the future what I have already done, I would not have brought a sacrificial animal. I would have made it an umrah. So whoever among you does not have a sacrificial animal may come out of his ihram and make it an umrah. Surah ibn Malik ibn Jarshan stood up and said, O Rasulullah, is this the order for this year alone or forever? Rasulullah interlocked his finger one into the other and said, the Umrah has been included in the Hajj. The Umrah has been included in the Hajj. No, in fact, the order is applicable for all times. Yes. I explained this riwaya earlier, how Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam educated the companions on a misunderstanding that existed in the Jahili days. Go ahead. The most obvious meaning of the words, the Umrah has been included in the Hajj, is that the Umrah can be performed during the months of Hajj, as opposed to the pre-Islamic claim that Umrah during the months of Hajj was not permissible. Rasulullah thus refuted this claim. Bukhari narrates on the authority of Sahid ibn Sa'ad al-Sa'adi who said, Rasulullah said, I am the one who takes care of an orphan. I am the one who takes care of an orphan will be like this in paradise. He then pointed with his forefinger and middle finger and left a slight gap between the two. Like this, Nabi Sallallahu held his two fingers up and he said, أَنَا وَكَافِرُ الْيَتِيمِ كَهَاتَيْنِ فِي الْجَنَّةِ Like this, we will be two, uh, we will be together. Using his hands, again, his ishara to convey a point. That this will be the proximity. The Prophet ﷺ was an orphan himself. He had great empathy for the plea of an orphan. The loneliness and difficulty of an orphan. There is great virtue in taking care of orphans. The ideal situation would be, that we open the doors of our homes and invite orphans and take care of them, take care of those that are needy, who need our help. There is unfortunately a lot of cultural taboo here. A lot of cultural taboo. If someone were to bring an orphan into their home, I know that the religious folks from our community would blame their own children. And the first statement that most people would say is, don't you have your own kids? Can you not have kids? The idea here is that if you can't have your own children, then and only then do you bring an orphan into your house. This is such a misunderstanding. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open our hearts. We have the risk. Many of us actually have empty bedrooms in our house too. We have the means, we have the ability to take care of them, but we've lost the heart. So what's happened in our communities is that we, our children, and I say our children referring to our orphans, 
the Ummah's orphans, are all tucked away in orphanages. And in many of the orphanages, not all of them, but in many of them, their standard of living is very low and the unfortunate oppression and zulm that occurs there is unspeakable. Who is there to look after them? Who is there to advocate for them? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower His mercy upon the ummah and the orphans wherever they are. There was a lady that I met in London some years back. One of my friends, he took me, Sheikh Yusuf, he took me. He said, uh, I want to introduce you to a lady. So when he took me to her, um, he said that this they were old lady and old man, old lady and man. He said that these two people, they have dedicated their life to raising orphans. And what they do is that they raise orphans when the orphan is ready to move on. They have them married and they bring the next set in. And they've ran this cycle multiple times and he said what makes them unique is that they only bring orphans into their home that have special needs. So I said to uh, Sheikh Yusuf, uh, not my teacher, my friend, my classmate, Sheikh Yusuf Ahmed, I said to him that my heart wishes to say that if someone wants to see a woman from the people of Jannah, look at this one right here. That she's dedicated her life. She's an old lady at that point when I met her. And she had children in her house even then. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a heart like that. Now the bare minimum. By the way, this is like the bare minimum. Is that we allocate a portion of our wealth to providing for orphans. That's the bare minimum. Today in Maghrib Salah, uh, the surahs that I read were indicating towards this. In the first surah, in Surah Al-Duha, Allah says, أَلَمْ يَجِدْكَ يَتِيمًا فَآوَى فَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَقْهَرُ And in Surah Ma'oon, what does Allah say? وَلَا يَحُضُّ عَلَى طَعَامِ الْمِسْكِينَ That a believer doesn't do that. And I ask myself and everyone sitting here, when is the last time we took out some of our wealth to share with another person, specifically the orphans? There are so many organizations and institutions that are around us that have made it easy for us, yet we remain in a state of slumber, sleeping, thinking that maybe someone else will do it. Your Jannah will need to be earned through your own actions. When a person parts from their wealth, that is a statement of Iman. That's why Allah in the Qur'an, while differentiating between the believer and the hypocrite, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this point. الْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتُ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضُ يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفُ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنْ مُنْكَرُ And then, يُؤْتُونَ الزَّكَاةِ He points that out, that they are ones who give charity. They give their alms. And then the munafiqoon, when Allah describes them just a few verses earlier, وَالْمُنَافِقُونَ وَالْمُنَافِقَاتُ بَعْضُهُمْ مِنْ بَعْضُ يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمُنْكَرِ that they don't give. Nasullaha, they forgot Allah. Fanasiyahum, he forgot them. One companion came to Rasulullah and he spoke of his heart becoming very hard. So, in response to that, Rasulullah told him to adopt the company and show affection to orphans. In this diwaya here, Rasulullah also teaches the companions the value and virtue of taking care of orphans. Kahatain, putting his fingers up. Yes. 
Bukhari and Muslim narrate a lengthy hadith on the authority of Huraira with regard to three infants who spoke as normal adults while they were still in the cradle. In this hadith, Rasulullah mentioned Isa There is a discussion among the scholars of the incidents in which an infant spoke from the cradle. What are the stories that an infant spoke from the cradle? There are multiple times this happened. We all know the story of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. The um, progressive academic Muslims claim that Isa alayhi salam did not speak as an infant and they say nowhere in the Quran does it say that he spoke as an infant. Honestly, when I hear arguments like this, I think to myself, are you reading the same Qur'an that I'm reading? When I heard this argument, I was so puzzled. So puzzled. Because the whole sequence, the whole story, again, I won't read all the ayat of Surah Maryam, but if you follow it, it's step by step. She comes with the child, the people make an accusation, she remains silent, فَأَشَارَتْ إِلَيْهِ She indicates to him, and then their claim is, 20 years later he spoke. When the tartib of the ayah just continues, and they actually said, Fil Mahdi Sabiyah. I actually spoke to one of these people who made this claim and I said, Are you do you understand Arabic? Like, you claim that you're you're fluent in the Arabic language, and I'm not claiming to be an expert, but I'm just saying that this is quite simple. They said, Sabiyah, how can we speak to a one that is still in the cradle, a child? And he said, قَالَ إِنِّي عَبْدُ اللَّهِ He said, I am the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And their claim is that he said this like 20 years later. There was like a big Bollywood interim, right? Everyone decided to leave the theater, go get popcorn and chill and come back 20 years later. إِنِّي عَبْدُ اللَّهِ آتَانِيَ الْكِتَابِ وَجَعَلَنِي نَبِيَّا So anyway, that's one qissa. Then we have the... Some Mufassirun say that in the story of Sayyidina Yusuf salam, the Shahida Shahidun min Ahliha was also an infant when Zulaikha was chasing Yusuf salam, and then the, the Aziz was standing at the door and he saw them and so there was an infant they say that testified because the ayah, the ayah says Shahida Shahidun min Ahliha that from their family, from her family there was a witness that came forth and spoke so one of the opinions is that it was a young child who then said that check where the garment is ripped from the front or the back, as the Qur'an then tells us. Similarly, we have the story of, there is another incident of, قُتِلَ أَصْحَابُ الْأُخْدُودِ أَصْحَابُ الْأُخْدُودِ The people of the trenches, that they were being thrown in their long story again. A, a, a group of Christians were being tortured. And, and um, in one riwayah we hear Rasulullah wasallam tells us that there was a lady who was holding her small infant, and she was terrified because she wasn't worried of herself being thrown in the fire, but she was more worried about her little baby. So the narration says the baby spoke to the mother and said, Mama, jump in. Jannah is there. Take me with you. And then we have the story of Juraj that Imam Bukhari narrates. His story is that he was once praying salah. His mother called him. He didn't respond. So his mother then made a dua against him in that moment. And she said, May you not leave the world until Allah disgraces you. So then the story continues and Imam Bukhari narrates the whole thing that there was an accusation made against him. A lady came to the court and she was pregnant. And 
they asked, whose child is this? And she said, it's Junaid's. He had a monastery, the king had sponsored it. The king got very angry that that guy acts Sufi on the outside, he's all goofy on the inside. You know, he's, so he told his soldiers, go and arrest him and knock down his Salma. Bring down his monastery and demolish it, bring him in. So they demolished it, they brought him in. And when he was being brought in, they took him through the path where all of the prostitutes would sit. And he remembered that this was the dua of his mother against him. So then he came to, that was the dua that may a day not come until you are disgraced. And he, this was what his mother was referring to. So when he came to the court and they said, this child is yours, he then turned to the child and said, who's your father? And the child spoke. And then this riwayah right here is another one of them. Yes, go ahead. Bukhari Muslim narrated a lengthy hadith of regards to three infants who spoke as normal adults while they were still in the cradle. In this hadith, Rasulullah mentioned and the slave Juraj the monk. Rasulullah said that there was a woman from the Bani Israel who was breastfeeding her infant. A, horse of, a, a horseman of grand appearance and beautiful clothing happened to pass by. On seeing him, she said, Oh Allah, make my son like him. The infant left her breast, turned in the direction of the horseman and said, Oh Allah, do not make me like him. The infant then turned to his mother. The mother saw the guy, he's a horseman looking all nice, fancy shamancy. She said, Oh Allah, make my son like this one. So the infant spoke and said, Allahumma la taj'alni mithlahu. Oh Allah, do not make me like this one. ثُمَّ أَقْبَلَ عَلَىٰ ثَدْيَيْهَا يَمُصُّهَا He continued nursing. قَالَ أَبُوْ هَرَيْرَةَ كَأَنِّي أَنظُرُ إِلَى النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَمُصُّ بِإِسْبَعَهُ Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was, um, had his thumb in his mouth. Right? ثُمَّ مَرَّ بِأَمَتٍ ثُمَّ مُرَّ بِأَمَتٍ تُجَرَّرُ وَيُلْعَبُ بِهَا وَتُضْرَبُ Yes, you can read it. And uh, Abu Hurairah says, it is, it is though I can still picture Rasulullah uh, sucking on his finger to demonstrate how the infant was sucking on his mother's chest. Therefore, a slave girl was... Now someone may ask, why was Nabi demonstrating this? Well, it's simple. The Prophet was making a point that this child was nursing. This was a miracle. That was the point of the narration. That someone may say this happened at an older age, that's why the child was able to speak. Anyone who knows who's seen a child that's nursing, children that nurse do not, they don't speak. So Rasulullah through his ishara made it clear, that's what was happening. Not that someone should say that, oh, he went back to eating bread or went back to having some cereal. That's not what happened. Go ahead. Thereafter, a slave girl was being dragged from being. So the woman said, oh Allah, do not make my son like her. The infant then left, uh, the infant then stops nursing and So the slave girl was brought forth and she was being punished at the time. Um, the accusation against her was that she had committed zina, that she had engaged in a form of prostitution. That was the accusation against her. So the mother said, Allahumma la taj'alni ibni mithla hadihi. Do not make my child like this one. فَطَرَكَ ثَدْيَهَا فَقَالَ Allahumma ja'alni mithlaha. The baby then said, Oh Allah, make me like her. فَقَالَتْ لِمَا ذَاكْ She then turned to her baby and said, Mr. Talk Guy, why? فَقَالَ الرَّاكِبُ جَبَّارٌ مِنَ الْجَبَابِرَ وَهَذِهِ الْأَمَةِ يَقُولُونَ سَرَقْتِي زَنَيْتِي وَلَمْ تَفْعَلْ وَهِيَ تَقُولْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهُ وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلُ As for the writer, he was an oppressive man. He was a tyrant. And this one they're beating, they were accusing her. So while they were accusing her of something that she 
did not do walam tafal her response in that moment was what hasbi allah wa ni'mal wakil go ahead sometimes that's just the response that you can give when people mess with you you know when people go around trying to slur your name and throw accusations and try to tarnish your reputation at times all you can say is hasbi allah wa ni'mal wakil Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of all things. Go ahead. Imam Ahmad If you have a twig and you peel off the outer, outer layer of it, what color is the inside of it? White, right? So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Then Nabi Sallallahu peeled off the outer layer and the inside was shining white. That this is what will happen to you when Allah punishes you. You won't even see your outer skin anymore. This tribe and this race that you're so proud of. Muslim and Tirmidhi narrate on the authority of Sufyan ibn Abdullah who said, I said, O Rasulullah, tell me something which I can hold on to. He replied, Say, my sustainer is Allah. Thereafter, remain steadfast. I said, O Rasulullah. This is from the Jawami al Kalim, from the very concise speech of Rasulullah. The companion, he said, O Messenger of Allah, um, give me something I can hold on to. So Rasulullah's response was, Qul Rabbi Allah Say, My Rabb, my sustainer is Allah, and then stay committed to that. Stay firm on it. Qul Ya Rasulullah, What is the one thing you fear most for me? What's something that I should be careful of? فَأَخَذَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ بِلِسَانِ نَفْسِهِ ثُمَّ قَالَ هَذَا Nabi Wasallam then physically took hold of his, his tongue. And he said, this is what you need to watch out for. Because a person does a lot with their deeds, but they end up losing it because of their words. That you said something to someone and you hurt yourself. If you recall the hadith of the Muflis, where Nabi Wasallam asked regarding who is the bankrupt individual, at the end of it, the Prophet of Allah said, someone who came with so much good on the Day of Judgment, but loses it all, why? That he stole from this person, he swore at that person, cursed that person, so at the end they have no good deeds left. This is the one who loses out. Go ahead. Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Ibn Abbas said, I slaughtered the sacrificial animal before pelting. He pointed with his hand and said, there is no harm. He added, I shaved off my hair before slaughtering. He pointed with his hand and said, there is no harm. 
Muslim narrates on the authority on the authority of Al-Mahdad ibn al-Aswad who said, I heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying on the day of resurrection. Did you say the previous riwayah was by Bukhari and Muslim? Interesting. Well, the Arabic that I'm looking at here for that same narration, it says, وَرَوَىٰ الدَّارْ قُتْنِي فِي سُنَنِهِ عَنْ إِبْنِ عَبَّاسِ Allahu Alam. Go ahead. Muslim narrates on the authority of Al-Muqtad ibn al-Aswad who said, I heard Rasulullah saying, on the, day of, on the day of resurrection, the sun will be brought close to the people, so much so that it will be about a mile from them. The people will then be engulfed in perspiration in, according, in accordance with their, with their deeds. There will be those who perspire, their perspiration will reach their angles, there will be those... There will be those drowning in their sweat, their perspiration. فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَكُونُ إِلَىٰ كَعْبَيْهِ Until their ankles. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَكُونُ إِلَىٰ رُكْبَتَيْهِ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَكُونُ إِلَىٰ حِقْوَيْهِ حِقْوَيْ means مَوْضِعُ الْإِزَارِ You know where a person ties their, their pant? The, the, until their waist. In one riwayah, it actually, instead of حِقْوَيْهِ, it actually says وَصْطِهِ That until his mid, that's how much a person will be drowning in sweat. Yes. There will be those who their perspiration will reach, uh, who will reach their hips. There will be those whose perspiration will bridle them. Rasulullah sallallahu then pointed with his hands towards his mouth. Yeah, so bridle them. Jaman. You know how you bridle a horse? You tie it around their mouth. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa he first said it will bridle them, meaning it will be right till here. وَأَشَارَ Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi And then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa made a gesture towards his mouth saying right until here they will be drowning in their sweat. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Yes. Yeah, like this, they will be drowning completely inside their sweat. Now there's a question here, how will this happen? If everyone is together in one place, how will people be in different levels of their perspiration, their sweat? The truth is, Wallahu alam. Allah knows. These are matters of the Akhirah. Um, the Prophet ﷺ said, so we say, That we believe in it and we submit to it. Allah knows best. Our dua is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not make us, from an ex- make us from these people, that we become an example. And also that we don't even see this inshallah. That may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pull us aside and allow us to experience the VIP lounge of the Day of Judgment. You know, whenever I go past the airport VIP lounges, I just make dua for the VIP lounge on the Day of Judgment. American Airlines VIP lounge is horrible. <laughs> it's the same five foods that are all cooked in a microwave. It's nothing special. You get these small little Coke cans, not even a normal size one. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the business lounge of Jannah, of the Qiyamah. It does exist. It does exist. Go ahead. Raising a prohibited item with one's hand in order to emphasize its prohibition. 
At times Rasulullah used to pick up a prohibited item with his hand and raise it in full view of his audience. In this way, the act of physically seeing the item would create... So here we have objects being involved. That Rasulullah is holding something, that avoid this. The riwayah that he's going to reference, the first one, the Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu an, akhadha Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hariran bi shimalihi wa dhahaban bi yaminihi. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam held silk in his left hand and then held gold in his right hand. Thumma rafa'a bihima yadayhi. He then held them up. Qala inna hadayni haramun ala dhukuri ummati. These two things are haram for the men of my ummah. Hillu li unafihim. But permissible for? For the women. Hillun li inafihim. For the women, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has permitted it. Yes. Abu Dawood Nasadiya ibn Majah narrate on the authority of Ali ibn Abi Talib who said Rasulullah took a piece of silk in his left hand and some gold in his right hand. He then raised them both with his hands and said, These two items are prohibited for the males of my ummah and permissible for the females of my ummah. When you experience something physically, you can hold it. When you look at something, there's a different lesson. One thing is that you tell the story of uh, the Kaaba to your children while sitting at home, and the other is that you're telling them that story in front of the Kaaba. That this is where it all went down. The story of Ismail salam, the story of Hajar. This is, where, this is where it actually all happened. That you go to Quds and you're pointing that this is what happened here, and that's what happened there. It's a different story altogether. This is one of the reasons why the ulama in the past always talked about you know, just going for walks in nature. Imam Ghazali and others actually say this, that if you have time in your day, one thing you should try to do is go for a walk. Because when you go for that hike, for those of you that are into hikes, you know what I'm talking about. That when you're at that hike, there are, just, there are these moments that you have of just reflecting on Allah's creation and you're baffled, lost for words, and you're just looking at it all. And maybe the ayah that'll come to your mind is, Subhanak ma khalaqta hadha batila. Right? That none of this was created in vain. Right? None of this was created in vain. Oh Allah, vain, protect us from the fire of hell. Being constantly surrounded by brick, mortar, drywall, carpet, plastic, it takes you away from the makhluk of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We unfortunately live in the world that doesn't have much overlap or interaction with the qudra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When's the last time you actually had rain make contact with your body or you were soaked in rain that you would make dua for it? Who here really needs rain? Which person sitting here can say that rain actually plays an active role in my life? Most of us would say that if it rains, I'll get a free car wash. You know, I won't have to turn my sprinklers on that day. When we're sitting to eat, we don't know how that food got to us. The food that's in front of us, we attribute it to Walmart, Kroger, or whatever other, H-E-B store. When the truth is that the journey of that food, for it to reach your plate, is great and long and one that will result in tremendous shukr if you reflect over it. This single grain of rice that's in front of me, where did its journey start? It was nothing. As Allah says regarding the insan, لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْءًا مَذْكُورًا And it made its, all, made its way all the way from the ground up, washed, packaged, brought to me, and I'm sitting here about to eat it. So in that moment, for this one grain to carry the flavor, nutrition that it has, that I'm consuming it, if you reflect over it, you'll be 
compelled and obliged to say subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves a servant who praises Allah after every morsel and sip. Not just at the beginning. After every morsel and sip, that person says alhamdulillah. Takes another bite, alhamdulillah. Another bite, alhamdulillah. Yes. So the khulasa is spend more time away from just brick and mortar, from electricity. Spend a little time in nature. You go there, your heart will open up. You'll see the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every fly. You guys see that picture of the ant? You guys remember that, that, that close up picture of the ant that, that came up through that Nikon? Is, that, is it called Nikon? Is that how you say it? Yeah, the Nikon competition. Holy Allah! That was horrific! After that day, I told myself, man, I'm not going near an ant again. Then I also said to Muhammad, my son, I said to him, that even these ants were afraid of Sulaiman alayhi salam. We're terrified of these ants. قَالَتْ نَمْلَةٌ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّمْلَةُ خُلُوا مَسَاكِنَكُمْ لَا يَحْتِمَنَّكُمْ سُلَيْمَانُ وَجُنُدُهُ وَهُمْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ They won't even notice. فَتَبَسَّمَ ضَاحِقًا مِنْ قَوْلِهَا Sulaiman alayhi salam smiled. وَقَالَ رَبِّ أَوْزِعْنِي أَنْ أَشْكُرَ Oh Allah, give me the tawfiq and the ability to be grateful to you for what you've given. Yes. So camels from the spoils of war, the Prophet would take a few strands from there and say, I do not have even this much right to take He would take initiative in teaching a lesson before the need for that lesson came. The Prophet ﷺ would take initiative, and this is important as a teacher. You gotta come to ask that question. Answer it before it comes. In my opinion, that's the sign of a great teacher. If someone were to say to me, you know, what are some traits of, an, of, of a good teacher? I would say, the teacher presents their message, considers what objections will come, includes the responses to those uh, those. Those, those ishkalat, those i'tirad, those objections into the content. So you're not just teaching it in a linear fashion, but you're also going into depth. Where the student now understands that the person that's teaching me the lesson has thought of what comes ahead. So the Prophet ﷺ wouldn't wait for someone to ask a question. Sometimes he would beat them to it. That this is an obvious question. You need to think about this. We know that criticisms to Islam And I'm talking about criticisms because this is a sort of question that we see Rasulullah addressing in the narrations ahead. Criticisms of Islam are abundant. We know they're out there. So when we're sitting with our students, young children and even the old, don't wait for a non-Muslim to feed them the question so when they go to look for the answer, the search engine optimization sends them back to a non-Muslim website and it's a volley and spike from them. And you're wondering what happened. Take the initiative. Address the issue from before. There was a young lady that I met with some time back. And she said this to me. She said that I have questions about Islam. And uh, every time I asked these questions to my Islamic school teacher, my teacher brushed me off. So before she asked her question to me, she said, 
I need to know whether you're going to toy around with me, beat around the bush, or are you going to speak straight with me? This is a 14-year-old girl. A 14-year-old girl told me, are you going to speak straight with me? And I said, you're in good luck. I don't know how to speak any other way, unfortunately. So we're going to have a good conversation. But her statement was, was mind-boggling. That you guys taught me a narrative of Islam that was all lovey-dovey, everything's perfect, everyone's holding hand and dancing around and everything's you know, happily ever after. Can you explain this to me? Can you explain that to me? And the beautiful thing is that, alhamdulillah, as far as Islam goes, as far as our nusus and our revelation goes, what we learn from the Prophet of Allah, there are no contradictions. There may seem to be contradictions, but these issues have been addressed historically. Muslim scholars were very critical. Imam Tahawi rahmatullahi compiled a whole book dedicated just to narrations that apparently contradict one another. He called it Mushkilul Athar. And his Sharh Ma'anil Athar, which some of the students read at the higher years of their course of studying at Alamiya program, he covered it, Mushkilul Athar. And the ulama of the past were very open. Any narration, there was, a, there was a person who said to me once that why is it the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa you know, there's a riwayah of Sahih Muslim that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa told the companions to kill a particular type of reptile. So he says this sounds inhumane. And therefore this narration must be uh, rejected. So I said to him, buddy, slow down. This is a really weird situation that just because you don't understand something, what's your knee-jerk response? Throw it out. I told him, you know, again, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us understanding. This person that I was talking to again, was a supposed scholar of the deen. I told him, are you not familiar with Imam An-Nabawi rahimahullah ta'ala? His commentary on Sahih Muslim is a staple commentary. So before you decide to cancel this narration, if we were communicating through WhatsApp. I said, if you give me a five minute break, I'm gonna go online, find the narration, its commentary, copy and paste it here for you, so we can settle this issue very quickly. I was confident that Imam Nawawi rahmatullahi had addressed the issue. So I went to uh, the minhaj and went to the page and Imam Nawawi rahmatullahi points out that this ruling applies to any serpent or any sort of reptile or anything that can bring harm. He said it's very possible that the particular animal Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam speaking about that species had caused an infestation and was harmful to people. Therefore, the Prophet ﷺ encouraged the companions to get involved in solving this issue. That makes so much sense, right? At the end of the day, we will need to take initiative. We will need to take lead. Address some of the objections raised against Islam. But for that, we have to be well-versed ourselves. And read them, understand them. Go ahead. Even the questions that relate to aqidah, even the questions that relate to aqidah, that's straight to belief. The reality is that most people reach a point in their life where they begin to critically engage with everything they know to be true. It happens around the, around the late teenage years for most folks that you start engaging critically with everything that you know. Is it true? Is it true? Mama and Baba told me, but is it really true? Because in order for truth to have a meaningful impact, you have to come to that reality yourself. 
It's unfortunate, but it's true. In the ideal scenario, someone would tell you, this is good, this is bad, and you would say, thank you. And everything would work out. Your dad tells you that you got to do this. Don't do that. If you listen to them, you'd probably live his 50 years before you live yours, which means you'd be ahead in life. But most of us, that's not who we are. We have to live through our own experiences. Right? And this is how the Sahaba excelled so quickly because they took the experience in life of Rasulullah and adopted it in their lives as reality, as truth. So that allowed them to excel. It boosted them forward. However, as we also see regarding the story of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for proof. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed it to him. So here Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam addresses this. Go ahead, read the riwayah of Bukhari. Bukhari and Muslim there on the authority of Abu Hurairah said, Rasulullah said, Shaytan comes to one of you and asks, Who created such and such thing? He continues posing this question until he asks, Who created your sustainer? When a person reaches that stage, he should seek refuge in Allah and refrain from such thoughts. So the Prophet asks the question before anyone does. يَأْتِ الشَّيْطَانُ أَحَدَكُمْ Shaytan comes to you. فَيَقُولُ مَنْ خَلَقَ كَذَا وَكَذَا حَتَّى يَقُولَ لَهُ مَنْ خَلَقَ مَنْ خَلَقَ رَبَّكَ Who created your? Who created your Lord? So then the Prophet says, إِذَا بَلَغَ ذَلِكَ When a person comes to that point, فَلْيَسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ وَلْيَنْتَهِ Let's stop. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection. Rasulullah gave a very simple, basic, firm solution. Now, as for if someone has this question and they're wondering that how do I understand who created Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? This is a good conversation to have. And Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghuda rahimahullahu ta'ala actually engages in some discussion here, uh, which makes me believe that we should stop here now. And we'll do this discussion, if Allah wills, with its commentary in our next class. Because that also is the beginning of our chapter. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us tawfiq and allows us to do amal upon what we learn. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us lanterns of guidance wherever we are. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.